Everybody? Good morning. How's everybody this rainy morning? Good. You know, I, I've been afraid that uh, participation has dropped a little. So, uh, like the old saying goes, the floggings will continue until morale improves, right? So, uh, now today, wow, we, uh, the rubber hits the road with the crucifixion, right? We've had all of this discovering the Basora and the fulfillment of prophecy and Jesus teaching in a rabbinic way using questions. And then there's the car wreck and we hit crucifixion. I mean, there's nothing spiritual or wonderful or good about crucifixion. It's just ugly. It is probably the pinnacle one of maybe them, the pentacles of human torture, of human human death. And so where I think God had a lot planned, thought out, developed, this is all us. This is this is crucifixion. This is what humanity can come up with. Um, this is what even Satan looks at us and says, wow, you guys are really something. I, I, you know, I never crucified an angel. So I want to make sure we're in the right place. Uh, we're verse 21. We did the whipping, right? Uh, the scourge. Yep. Yeah. So, oh, did. Oh, okay. So where where do we think we are? Oh, 16. Okay. Well, good. All right. Well, we've, we've been through the mock trials. Look at 16. Uh, the soldiers took Jesus into the courtyard of the governor's headquarters uh, called the Praetorium. And they called out the entire regiment. How, how many are in a regiment? Gary? A whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's debated, but it's uh it's in the hundreds. So they dressed him in a purple robe, obviously something uh intended for royalty to, to mark him. Uh they wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on its head. So has anybody ever worn the keen sandals? Um, you know, the, the, well, the, uh, the, they came out, I guess, 15. K-E-E-N. I don't use K-I-N. No, keen, yeah. K-E-E-N. So, so, the, sort of the slip-on sandals, but they have little sides cut into them. So I was, uh, doing, uh, or in grad school, doing another visit to Egypt, and then the Keens just came out. And I thought, oh man, that's perfect. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get some of those. My feet will be cool in Egypt, and heck, I'll look cool, right? Um, so I'm running around Karnak. Um, my specialty was late period, and uh, late period is is like the stepchild to Egyptology. It's never the cool stuff. So I'm off in the literal sticks, and there's this thing called the camel thorn. And we believe this is what the Romans made the uh, crown of thorns out of. Uh, and it's, 
it puts mesquite to shame, right? Uh, any cactus here, it would salute it. Wow. And so I had these little kings and they're, you know, they're pretty rugged shoes, but I was running around those camel thorns and it cut my foot. And of course you're really excited in a third world like Egypt to have a, a you know, a deep wound. Um, I always remember Egypt is a beautiful place. Just imagine a dirty Mexico. And, uh, that's, that's Egypt, right? And so I'm like, wow, first of all, these kings were not meant for camel thorns in Egypt. And two, I've probably picked up something terrible. So I had hand sanitizer. I was just pouring all over this thing. But one of the things the camel thorns do and, and realize what they're saying. I mean, this is designed to get through camel, uh, skin, which camels are, you know, just near indestructible. Um, but it, it would bleed. It would bleed and bleed and bleed and bleed. I mean, I, I, I honestly, this thing bled for over an hour. I, mean, I couldn't get it uh, to stop. Um, and it, you know, just sort of brushing up against it. So I know the crown of thorn becomes almost uh, cliche, but uh, the... The nastiness, the intention of this uh, was was something really, really brutal. Um, why, why do you think the soldiers are doing this? I like it. I like it. Yeah. It continues to send a message. Every, every step in this sends a message of compliance for this. Right. Now, I, I certainly think our soldiers, uh, American soldiers in particular, are a different breed than any other soldiers that have existed um, throughout most of human history. I mean, Americans, really, we do liberate as opposed to, to conquer and crush. Please understand, you know, professionals professional soldiers, full-time soldiers in the ancient world are not citizens, right? This is not the Republic era of Rome. Uh, these are occupation troops that have to terrorize. Uh, these are not um, good folks uh, that are doing this. And it, in all things, uh, Rome has figured out how a few can rule many. And it's it's the bully mentality. Uh, I don't want to fight everybody, but I want to scare everybody. Or better yet, I want to terrorize everybody. So Rome is facing constant insurrection, constant fighting. I mean, from Britain at this time all the way to Israel, they've got people who don't want them there. And so they don't have enough legions as good as they are to fight everybody. So they want to put it put it on. So this kind of behavior, as over the top as it sounds, is is typical uh, from what we hear from Boudicca. Do you know the story of Boudicca? Now that is a name for your daughter, if ever I heard one. Something that doesn't translate well, right? Um, Boudicca was a, a Celtic. Uh, well, she began as a wife and then she became a leader and she went through this exactly as Jesus did. They scourged her and beat her, raped her, and it so scarred her uh, that she led a revolt in Britain against Rome. And for a while she did pretty good. And most people do until Rome can bring its full power. And uh, and she was... Most of the Romans in Jerusalem were Roman soldiers were 
call them up, recruited them, work citizens. Right. They're Gauls. Yeah, they're they're from different places in the empire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are not, you know, sweet dads leaving their wives and kids at home. These are these are hard dudes. So uh, all of this is about humiliation uh, and about terror. So they saluted and taunted him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed stick, spit on him, dropped to their knees in mock worship. When they finally tired of mocking him, they took off the purple robe, put on his own clothes on him again, and led him away to be crucified. Uh, One of the things I guess we missed is that Pilate had him flogged, which, did you talk about this at all? Okay, so Romans, above all things, are engineers. Whatever they do, they're masters. They they study it from aqueducts to bring water from a mountain into a city to fortifications and to torture. And so they know how to really get the bang for the buck for torture. We're dealing with the two extremes that they have for torture. One is called scourging. Uh, and when I was a kid, um, probably told this story, but uh, I always thought, well, Jesus got whipped. Well, that's not a big deal. So growing up in El Paso during the 70s, right, the oil embargo, so we would go across the border uh, and eat Mexican food. This is before the, like, the gang wars start, and you would get gas, right? And uh, in the marketplaces, you could find incredible treasures, Velvet Elvises. Oh, so beautiful. So beautiful. But the thing I really loved were bull whips. Oh, yeah. And I wanted one for a long time. And my mother always said, no, you'll hit your sister. <laughs> no, huh? What are you talking about? So I begged and begged. And finally, my dad relented one time, and I got a bull whip. So everybody's seen a bull whip, right? It's, it's super long. This one had a little tassel. And you know what I did with it? Hit my sister. <laughs> but I got hit with that, and my God, did it hurt, right? I mean, just you try that. You're just swinging. You don't know what you're doing with this thing. Um, but I always thought, well, come on, Jesus. Um, those things hurt, but it's just a welt and it goes away. It's not It's not the worst thing in the world. And then later on you learn. So Romans have multiple types of whips. I mean, it's it's by degrees. And then what we're talking about today is a scourge. So it's, it's a short whip, and I'll pass this around. Go ahead and try it on your neighbor. Um, and I, I apologize. So my... I actually lent this to someone and they used it. Long story, I won't tell. And they tore up my ends. I'm like, this is for display, not use, you pervert. Um, so it's supposed to have um, wood. I had like cow bone. I worked really hard at this. Um, and metal. And unfortunately... I mean, you guys know how this goes, right? The Romans would brag about this. Uh, the first time you hit, you tear out the skin. And you work a little bit more, and then you tear out muscle. 
and you work a little bit more and you get into bone. So this isn't an old bullwhip where we just we put welts on you. I mean, this turns you into hamburger meat. Um, 40 lashes, uh, traditionally, and you're dead. So the Romans were cute. They give you 39. Right, try, trying to be be kind. Now, there's a huge debate, and I, I honestly, I don't know. The way I was taught in school was that Romans generally didn't scourge a person, and that's what we're talking about. Let me just pass this guy around. Um, they didn't usually use that on a person and crucify them, because usually when they scourge someone. If you survived, which that that's a huge if, because there's no antibiotics, you've got this uh, massive, I mean, your, your body, if you survive, your body is just one mass scar tissue. And you become this billboard of what Rome can do to you. And so, in a sense, Rome does want you to live. When they put you on the cross, and we'll talk about the the crucifixion itself, but they again want their bang for the buck. They're putting up a sign, right, a billboard, and they want you to last at least a couple of days. So if they scourge you, um, you're going to die quickly, and they don't get as much as... They've said, but I've, I've heard it challenged recently that maybe the Romans did scourge more, uh, in Judea because this would incapacitate the person more on the cross. So I don't know. I don't know. Um, either way, the, the brutality is just, just over, over the top. Jesus doesn't last very long. Um, he's crucified, well, we'll look at it, in the morning and he's dead by the afternoon. Usually crucifixion victims, and I'm ra- basing this on Spartacus. Everybody remember the story of Spartacus? Yeah. Um, now, granted, those guys, some of them were gladiators. A lot of them were just slaves, but uh, they went days. Um, and the goal was, right, uh, for your body to rot there. <laughs> Bugs, birds, animals would pick at your I mean, it's it's horrible. It's horrible. So Jesus um, has gone through already this incredible beating, scourging. Uh, he's he's in uh, he's in a bad way, and then they crucify him. So let me show a quick video. Um, some of the more recent stuff we're figuring out about crucifixion. Uh, the two things, yeah, we can go ahead and show it. Crucifixion was one of the most dreaded and painful forms of execution in ancient times. Thousands of crucifixions were performed by the Romans, the most famous, of course, being Jesus Christ. Yet, because almost all depictions of Jesus on the cross were painted centuries later, our image of the death of Christ is in many ways incorrect. Understanding Jesus' death, though gruesome and painful in nature, can help us better understand the incredible love that the Savior has for us because of what He was willing to endure. 
Crucifixion was often first preceded with the painful process of flogging or scourging, as is the case of Jesus. The scourging was done to physically weaken the condemned person, accentuating the already painful process of crucifixion. The whip or flagrum was made of strips of leather fastened to a handle, with broken glass, nails, bone, and lead weights fastened to the end of the strips. The flagrum was designed to rip through the flesh, tearing skin and muscle from the bone. The powerful symbol of the sacrament bread, which represents Christ's flesh being torn apart, is an apt reminder of the scourging that Jesus endured on our behalf. Once flogged, the convicted person was made to carry his own cross through the city till they arrived at the place of execution. Unlike most depictions showing Jesus carrying an entire cross, the condemned man instead would actually only carry the cross piece. This was because of the incredible weight of a full cross, and because wood was such a scarce resource that it was common to use an already existing tree or permanent post as the base of the cross. The fact that Jesus may have been crucified on a living tree brings beauty to the title of Jesus as the tree of life. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was crucified at a place called Golgotha, from the Hebrew word meaning skull, most likely referring to a knoll or small hill, shaped like a bare skull. Today in Jerusalem, there are two main traditional locations for Golgotha, the hilltop in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and Skull Hill, just outside the Damascus Gate. The first location was chosen by Helena, mother of Emperor Constantine, in about 325 AD because of several earlier traditions that marked this as the place. Today the hill is located within this enormous church under slabs of stone, with only portions of the original hill visible behind sheets of glass. Interestingly, it is because of this church, with its steep steps, that lead up to the traditional place of crucifixion, that we so often see paintings and film depicting the crosses on top of a hill. However, Rome did not generally crucify on the top of hills away from onlookers, but instead right next to the main roads and gates of the city. Crosses were also much shorter than normally depicted, so as to bring their victims as low as possible, placing them almost at eye level with onlookers. This was so that all who passed by would vividly see the consequences of opposing Rome. The other traditional site, Skull Hill or Gordon's Calvary, was identified only about 175 years ago. You see a it skull? was chosen because of the hill's remarkable resemblance to a skull and because of its close proximity to an ancient tomb, now known as the Garden Tomb. It was also identified because, in the Law of Moses, animals were to be killed on the north side of the Altar of Sacrifice. With this hill being north of the temple, and in a continuation of the same mount where the temple stood, the place seemed to be an apt location for the sacrifice of the Lamb of God.
1968, several tombs were discovered in Jerusalem, dating to the time of Jesus. Within one tomb, they found a stone ossuary, or bone box, with a nail driven through the ankle bone of the buried man. This find is extremely significant, as it is the only known archaeological find of a crucified person. Several intriguing things were learned from this discovery. First, the nail was not driven through the front of the foot, as is often depicted in Art of Jesus, but instead through the side of the ankle, directly through the bone. This means that a separate nail was driven through each foot, with the feet straddling the cross instead of in front. Archaeologists were also surprised to find wood fragments on both sides of the ankle bone. This has led to the conclusion that the nail was first placed through a wood washer before being driven through the foot and cross. The washer would have prevented the victim or family members from attempting to tear the body from the cross to avoid the excruciating pain of crucifixion. Hanging on the cross, the victim would be forced to stand upon these nails driven through his ankles, alternating with holding his weight up through his outstretched, nailed hands. This process was made all the more painful as the torn flesh on the back from scourging would be pressed to the cross as they alternated between hanging from their hands and standing on their feet. It was common for victims to survive for several days on the cross before dying, making Jesus' death after only a few hours very unusual. It is believed that the victim died from asphyxiation, or in other words, the lack of air, caused That's from the sheer exhaustion. That's probably good. Um, since this, since the 60s, they found two other uh, partial remains of crucifixion victims. Now, there has been a big debate about why we can't find these nails. Um, it's unusual to find the nails. And one of the things they figured out is that the Romans sought these nails. So they would take them out. They became these incredible, powerful talismans. And so soldiers uh, would keep crucifixion nails often around their necks. Um, it's sort of like the old wearing ears, you know, around your neck. It's this this bravado thing. So again, behavior is affecting archaeology. Um, so two years ago, uh, they found uh, some in Rome, and then they found some more in Syria, um, despite the war. So everybody knows, where does the nail go? Yeah, it's going in the wrist. And again, archaeology is, is confirming that. The tree hypothesis is really getting a lot of uh, credit now. Um, why do more work if you don't have to? There's not a lot of trees in Israel, but the one place that does tend to have more is Jerusalem up in the hills. So the truth is, there probably was no book, right, no standard uh, where the Romans crucified people the same all the time. It was probably based on environment, what they had, their experiences. We do know they talk a lot about the angle of the legs. So they could affect how long it took to kill you based on how they nailed your uh, legs and it's interesting in the video, right? I've never imagined it going around uh, the tree as opposed to 
um, just nailing it down. And who knows? There's probably both. But if they really wanted to uh, extend it, uh, they would give you more bend in your legs, so you would you would have a little more to breathe on. Uh, to extend it out uh, would would slow it down. And of course, we know what they do when they want to leave, right? Because uh, generally, soldiers would stay uh, to guard these bodies, so their family and friends wouldn't come and take them down. Um, they break your legs. So you can't, you can't breathe anymore. You know, there's one Roman account about, uh, well, it's, it's sort of a Roman account. It's Josephus. Um, Romans did this all the time. The video said thousands. I, I would, I would challenge that a little bit. Uh, from the end of the last century BC to the beginning of the first century AD, uh, Rome was, was crazed about the the crucifixions, um, starting with Spartacus on. But uh, Josephus, he's a Jewish historian involved in the Jewish revolt. He's a turncoat. He's a Benedict Arnold. Uh, he ends up surrendering to the Romans and writes a huge history of the Jewish people to defend them against Rome. Um, he was traveling with a group of Romans, and there was a mass crucifixion, and he saw uh, three friends of his uh, being crucified. And so he begs the Romans, let, let let me take them down. And the Romans say, yeah, okay, whatever. So they do take him down. What's interesting is Josephus says of the three of his friends, two of them died anyway. Because of the buildup in CO2, I mean, I don't say it this way, but um, we think it was the CO2 in the lungs. So even though they were treated by doctors, you know, they could breathe again, the damage had already been done, um, that their body was in such bad shape because they couldn't uh, get breath that they died, he said, under the care of physicians. So it's uh, it's really, really, really brutal. Um Maybe God's mercy, right, that Jesus was in such bad shape that he didn't lay up there until the bugs and animals, birds, ate him. One thing the video did uh, very subtly, the computer animation of the guy on the tree, did you notice how he was dressed? Yeah. No, it's it's pretty much universally acknowledged. Um, you were crucified naked. They want to humiliate you. They're not going to let you keep your panties on, right? To especially for a Jew. Um, but question. Right, right. And uh, again, the, the, the archaeology is now showing the hoisting, uh, again, maybe not be so much. You know, it may have just been um, lower, again, so that people can see it. Um, they had a yeah. there in Jerusalem, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure if I really did. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that yeah, 
uh, I think they, they go to break his legs because they're going to go. They're tired. They're done. And uh, he seems to be dead. And obviously they have to make sure that he's dead. So they just take a spear, you know, and poke him and he's dead. The, the issue of them stabbing him and only water comes out, um, doctors have explained that in an extreme, extreme crisis, your body takes all of its red blood cells and it pools them towards, towards internal organs to try to keep them going. And so that sort of reflected probably how he died uh, in the sense that his body was trying to save itself, but there was... It was too little, too late. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You don't break the bones of the sacrificial uh, lamb. So, just, just brutal, uh, beyond words. It's like tricking the body, which is designed to survive, right? Tricking the body um, to do everything it can slowly to try to survive and uh, it's there Peter will say Jesus is crucified on a tree and for the longest time we thought well Peter didn't it's what's Peter know um, but we talked about it yesterday um, so again I don't know um, I know it's really shocking when you go to Jerusalem and you think oh I'm going to go see this and the video sort of did it um, there's two sites Right there's the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, which it's not my favorite place in Jerusalem, but if you ever go, you have to go. Uh, it's probably where it happened, just because of location at the time. It was outside the city gates, but it's it's recently been remodeled. But it's this you saw it. I mean, it's this giant church, two story church built on top of a mountain. So you really don't get a sense that it was ever outside or anything. And it's, until it was remodeled, it's very dark and dank and it's full of incense and it's, it's, it's very, very strange. Um, the, the rituals that go on there, I, I, it, to me, it's, it's like Disneyland. It's crazy land. Um, people, the, there's a stone where they said he was anointed and people bring cloth and they smear it to get the oil, um, off of it. And it's, it's very, very, very strange. It's controlled by multiple churches and so they fight with each other, which is really ugly to see. Um, yeah. And then there's the Coptic Church, um, which is two different religions are controlled in that. Yeah, there's three, and it's. Like he's saying, I mean, there's churches within churches, and it's all under this giant dome. And so some of it's Greek Orthodox. And you learn to tell the difference, right? The Greek Orthodox love gold. Everything is gold. They cover it in gold. Gold, gold, gold. And then, as strange as it sounds, the Catholics kind of have a a simplistic gaudiness um, compared to the Orthodox. And then you have um, some of the Eastern churches, like the Copts out of Egypt, they have a little um, little section of it, and they have their own kind of gaudy. It's different than the, the Orthodox, but it's just... 
As a Protestant, as kind of a real Bible believing, I I, I don't like it. Uh, it's usually very very crowded. All the priests have a shtick for you, so uh, there's a huge long line in order to get to the stone where Jesus died. Because part of the 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 works that you do is you kiss the stone. So the the trick is, so there's the long line for the Catholics, but if you go around the backside, the Egyptian, the Coptics, have a tent basically set up on the backside. And so if you go and sweet the priest, he'll let you go in and stick your hand underneath uh, the tent and you can rub the stone. So, I mean, it's stuff like that that you're like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I got to, I got to pop a field for the Jesus stone. Like this is, this is not, this is not good. Um, I still take people there. I still think it's worth seeing, but it ain't great. Um, oh, pff, yeah, <laughs> yeah. They charge you to sneeze. I mean, it's, uh, and and there's stupid stuff. Like there's a ladder on the outside. Okay. Somebody's like working in the yard and they put a ladder up. And this ladder's been up like 200 years. Nobody can move it. You do not move that ladder. It's tradition, right. The, the, they'll break into fist fights over the ladder. Um, you cannot touch it. Uh, the, you know, the, it, but anyway, and so, you know, I've heard this prophecy. Well, the Messiah will come with that. It's like, it's a freaking ladder, people. Um, you know, Kurt's like, hmm, international incidents. Here we come, right? I'm going to move the freaking ladder. Um, so then the other side is the garden tomb, which is way outside Jerusalem. It's become this super Christian center, and it feels better. I mean, you saw it. It's in the garden. Uh, it's uh, just a first century tomb that you could go into it. But archaeologically, it's all make-believe. Absolutely. You know, it's Gordon's tomb. There was a British man sitting on his deck when they controlled Britain or they controlled uh, Israel. And uh, he looked over the mountain and said, that looks like a skull to me. That must be where Golgotha is. And so he goes over and, of course, they find tombs. Well, you're going to find tombs in every limestone cliff in Jerusalem, okay? Uh, it's just it's the way it is. But he said, this must be it. And, of course, everybody hated the Church of Holy Sepulcher. So he bought it. They turned it into this uh, Christian visitor center. And just like the Catholics, you too, when you pay admission, can come in with your group. And they have nice little amphitheaters. And they'll explain it to you. And for an extra fee, they will bring the communion set out to you. And you can take communion at. So it's all. It's another Disneyland. Um, now, I still go. I still have communion out there because it's so much better. You, you sort of see at least what a first century tomb looks like. But this is why, if we ever get to go again, I change the trip in Israel so much from what most people do. Because all it ends up being is these, come through our gift shop and uh, let me show you where Jesus stubbed his toe. Well, no, this is not going to happen here. So you would think... We would be absolutely certain where all this happened, right, Gary? I mean, somebody would remember, but we don't know. And honestly, Romans crucified everywhere.
So uh, some people think because there's actual posts in the stone in the Church of Holy Sepulchre, uh, the Romans had regular places where they crucified, and so they just dropped the poles in there. Although the tree theory now, uh, they're wondering. So all we know is it was near a limestone quarry that looked like a skull. And the limestone didn't stop being quarried at the time of Jesus, so it's likely that whatever looked like a skull was changed. There's nothing in the Holy Sepulchre that looks like a stone skull. So, anyway, I'm talking about uh, crucifixion way more than I should. Any other questions? Over in 23 verses. Yes. It's actually Gaul. But, I mean, they call it myrrh here, but we think it's Gaul. Uh, so, <laughs> what are the three things, Gary, soldiers always do? In this group? <laughs> okay, skip the first one. <laughs> What's the second one? What they can get off is steel. You're talking about in the crucifixion. Yeah. Look for whatever they can find, intelligence or whatever. Check it to say if the body's dead. Yeah. But what's the other thing soldiers always do? Drink. Drink. Oh, okay. They drink. And so um, the the Romans have gall wine. Uh, which we've talked about the wine, right? Um, and I, I, I have some. I'll have to bring it uh, for you guys sometime. So this is sort of, and I'm stretching here, kind of like the Roman Gatorade. It's cheap gut wine that they make out of gall. Um, that, man, i got to stand out. What's your duty today? Oh, i got guard duty. Well, i got crucifixion duty. Good God. i got to watch it there. And, I mean, honestly, so as a person begins to die and suffocate, what happens? They scream, they bleed, and I mean, honestly, let's be, they're they're naked, and what happens as the body begins to lose control? Right. They lose control of their bowels. I mean, this is God-awful. So the Romans are like, sit out there, it's hot, I don't know what to do. So they, they keep this cheap gall wine, and, and they drink it. And so for whatever reason, um, they want to give Jesus a little. Um, now, we can debate why why that is. Now, the myrrh is probably some sort of flavoring, um, but important. Uh, they try to give it to Jesus with a sponge at some point, or they, they try to give it to him, and what does he do? He declines. Yeah. So um, we've talked about that before. I think Chris did a superb job last year. Um, Jesus, even as a person dying on a cross that's gone through all this, is still doing his his rabbi moment. I won't drink again until we're in the afterlife. Yeah. Very Right. Yeah, so the the goal would have numbed it a little bit because you know it's wine, it's alcohol, it's it's gonna it's gonna give you a little buzz. Now this isn't anything good. I mean, this isn't um, you know a man that's dying from blood loss. Maybe 
giving a little Gatorade is going to give it momentarily refreshment, but uh, yeah, um, you can still buy gall, and that's where I actually got it. Um, so. Uh, no, um, but given how crazy we are, um, it's probably at the Whole Foods or, or whatever the uh, you know the, the the health food store. My wife's like, I gotta go get you know toad tool, and I'm like, what in the world are we in here buying this? What is this? And so anyway, so if ever there was any doubt how evil we are as people. Remember this, and that Jesus went through it. Um, there are in Revelation no crosses. As crazy as that sounds, I mean the, the depictions in heaven. Um, there's no crosses. There's slaughtered lambs and all that kind of stuff. Um, certainly in the New Testament, uh, they, they talk about the cross. But I wonder if you had ever seen a crucifixion, if you would ever actually use that image. The, the crosses come much later. Um, the early, early church does not use them. And, and I, I think that's it's fine. I, I think the, the cross is an appropriate image. But... Sometimes I think we're just too quick to dismiss how ugly and horrible it, it really was. Um, it, it becomes a sign, but it was a sign before that of of ultimate evil. You know, we're trying to figure out uh, vision for the church and, and going forward. Um, uh, we're talking about yesterday in, in our vision and values team, but... Um, what, what do we do with the old cross and flame? Right? We, we, we kind of had a reverence for it. But that tree got cut down. Right? Um, so how do you, how do you show our new chapter? And part of what I'm thinking is, what, what does it look like if you have sort of our original cross, but there's, there's another tree in it, growing in it, or or a vine, or, or something living uh, that's that's alive on this cross. It sort of looks like our cross in flame, but it's it's different. It's it's the tree of life, right? It's it's this sign of death that's become life. So I I don't know where we're going to go, and this is just Kurt rambling. So please take that for what it's worth. But I, I think whatever way we depict it, we have to show. The bottom, which is the crucifixion, and we have to show the life that comes comes from it. We used to do that with an empty cross, but I'm not sure it gets it. So anyway, I'm running over time. Any last questions? Yes. Oh, that's right. Yes. Go home and help your wife cook. Your dogs. <laughs> Anyway, let's pray. Father, our God, forgive us. You created us to choose, to create, to make good. And we made evil. Evil that takes even our breath away. How is it, O oh Lord, that you could give us the breath of life and we would engineer a way to take it? 
Help us realize there are horrible, dark places within all of us animals that live in there. It is not your will that this animal should be unleashed in heaven. And yet you were willing to take the worst that we could dish out and overcome it to show us life. You bear the scars to say, this is what humanity can do, but this is what I can do. So help us, O Lord, as we bear our own scars to remember the end of this. It's not death on a cross. It's you rising from the grave. May we never forget what you have done, not just for people, but for us. And, O Lord, as we grow in our faith, in our imitation of you, may we know what it is to give our life for someone else, to give our life for you. You did not do this, O Lord, just for your mother or your siblings. You did it for us, the foreigners, the Gentiles. Help us to be like you, to be in a world that's not full of evil, of Rome or the others, but in a world where people will fight for what's right, fight to end this kind of thing. Help us to be worthy of what you did on the cross. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.